Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Hey, produce people, welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. As always, I'm honored to be here, coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Today is March 27, 2023, the last Monday in March, everyone. That's right, we are going to be ending Q1, going into Q2. What the heck is going on here? I have a feeling 2023 is going to go fast as ever. April is upon us, but guess what this week is? Dallas, Texas. Viva Fresh, everyone. Are you going? I'll be in Dallas, Texas all week long through the weekend. We're going to have a lot of fun networking, talking produce, and overall networking with the produce and supply chain community. Now, leading into April, we've got a very busy month because Viva spreads into April, right? And then I will be back in California the middle of April and then CPMA at the end of April. So a very busy month for produce, everyone. Let's not forget our virtual networking hour is being hosted on April 20th, 2023 with our sponsor, Equifruit, the only banana you should buy, and our featured guest, Price Mabry of Corner Markets. Reach out to the Produce Industry Podcast at gmail.com to learn more if you're interested in joining. Now, this week's episode, we are bringing you back another history lesson. That's right, everyone. We got John Papp of Jack Vandenberg and myself going over the history of dragon fruit. So let's get this started. Pull out your notebooks because we're about to learn. We're going to drop some knowledge. Heck, I know John has some mic droppers. And guess what? John has never tried a dragon fruit until 2023. So, Let's get this episode started. Today is March 27, 2023, and we are in episode three of our new series all about the global history of produce, including fun facts and stories, when it all started, how it became commercialized, and how, when, and why we do it. The origins of some food extend to the earliest human civilizations. Through the centuries, many of these foods shaped or altered the course of history. In the process, some of them took on a life of their own in religion, literature, the arts, and popular culture. This is the history of dragon fruit. So, Patrick, did you know that back in 1938, the founder of serialism, Andre Breton, actually made a really nice description of dragon fruit? He actually wrote this in one of his essays. He wrote, I did not imagine that the world of fruit could extend to such a marvel that is the Pitahaya, whose skin has the color and the coiling of rose petals, the Pitahaya with gray flesh like a kiss blended of love and desire. It's a pretty uh, flattering description. That is an amazing description of dragon fruit. Now, I have a kind of a question to throw out. This isn't an interview here, but uh, have you tried dragon fruit, John? Never. Never in your life. Oh, we're doing the history of dragon fruit, everyone. And you've never tried dragon fruit. I've never tried it. I don't know. I think, honestly, I probably haven't seen it too much in stores. And it's probably a little intimidating. It's probably a little intimidating how to eat it. A little bit. But we'll help you get to that point. We're going to have some fresh way produce. Uh, send some amazing dragon fruit out to you. So uh, people... Um, before you hear this or after you hear this, reach out to John and ask him what his experience is with dragon fruit. Cause we're going to send him all three red, white, and yellow and see how he likes it. 
Oh man, that sounds, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully uh, <laughs> I give a positive review, but um, yeah, let's delve into this. So uh, dragon fruit. So it's actually a very complicated in terms of its name. So dragon fruit uh, is one of its names, but the real name, the origin name is actually Pitahaya, which you would have heard in that first description we heard from Andre in 1938. And the Pitahaya actually comes from the Taino language, which uh, belonged to the Taino people of the Caribbean, uh, which were basically around at the time of Spanish contact. Uh, and it was the most common language throughout the Caribbean. And, it, and that word means scaly fruit. So it's not necessarily a Spanish name, it's the Spanish interpretation of the name that Taino gave this piece of fruit. And basically there's a common, uh, I would say, <laughs> confusion around their two names. So there's Pitaya and there's Pitahaya. And the Pitaya is actually the fruits of the columnar cacti. So it's the, those cactus that you kind of see in all the movies, the really tall, skinny ones. And the Pitahaya is actually the fruit that grows on these vines, cactus vines, if you will. But this, this fruit goes through many different names. In the English-speaking countries, they call it Cinderella plants, the night-blooming Sirius, the crawling cacti, the strawberry pear. Uh, in the Asian countries, Japan, Vietnam, Malaysia, Philippines, Taiwan, dragon fruit. We'll get into kind of the background of how that name became the prominent name that we refer to today. And even the red fruit of Eden in Israel. So lots of different names flowing around here with this one piece of fruit. Um, but where does it come from, right? You think this is such an exotic piece of fruit. It's called dragon fruit. Thinking probably that Asian subcontinent area, but it actually is native to the Americas. And um, it's actually been pretty much in the Northern part of South America into the Central Americas. And this, the genus itself contains about 14 species. And uh, it's been prevalent in family gardens in Central America where it's traditionally used as food and medicine uh, for thousands of years. And today you can find it pretty much across that spectrum. So Guatemala, Nicaragua, Mexico, Colombia, Costa Rica, Venezuela, Peru, and has now been introduced uh, into countries around the world, Bahamas, United States, Australia, Thailand, India, the list goes on. So a fruit with lots of names and many different locations today. Oh gosh, I had a joke, but I wasn't going to say it. Uh, listen, <laughs> when you talk about like cactus, um, I was actually able to visit a dragon fruit or a pitahaya a grove or eh, grove field ranch like whatever we decided to call it but i was uh, you know jose at freshway produce that's how i really got uh keen to knowing dragon fruit and understanding what dragon fruit is i myself didn't try dragon fruit until 2020 could have been uh kind of mid-covid i went to the sarasota farmer's market masked up and all right because that's what it was about and um i told my son i was like well, we got to try dragon fruit like we got to try it and it it was okay like i just didn't know how to pick it or buy it so i just grabbed one and it was okay and then i was like okay let's let's start you know figuring this this plant out but it's a cactus everyone i went to homestead florida and i visited these cactus groves like when you think of, it's so funny, you think of like the desert, right? And you think of like the the one cactus just sitting out there in the desert with all his little 
you know, what are those like is uh paddles, vultures right? sitting on its perch or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then you see this, it's got this beautiful flower hanging from it, right? Something you would see in an exotic rainforest or uh, one of those forbidden plants that you shouldn't touch. Right. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a cacti and it grows on the plants. So the roots nestled in the crooks of other fully grown trees. And then it's crazy how it feeds and collects its nutrients through the cactus. Right. And it also absorbs water uh, and essential nutrients, right. Uh, through the cacti. So it's, it's really interesting that, uh, this fruit it comes from a cactus. It's a brightly colored, it grows, a, like I said, a beautiful flower. And again, if you want to check this out, uh, go on my YouTube channel because we do have a grove tour of a dragon fruit harvest. So that's what's even crazier, how they pick them and how they are so delicate around these cacti. So uh, since they have such low requirements, you know, for this visual treat, they're, they're a popular household plant. People will actually plant these in their backyards as well. They're trying to get me to grow a couple in my backyard. I've got little kids and I'm like, man, I don't want all the pokiness around them. But also how cool would it be to go pick a purple piece of fruit off of your tree or off of your cactus? Natural fence. Right? And, and natural go. and natural defense. Um, yeah, there you, go. you know, now I will tell you, it's crazy when you see these things because they're they're in Florida. The environment is more like a sand tropical environment and that's what these grow in. Um, they definitely need water, but being a cactus, uh, the water and being in Florida and Homestead, you get a lot of precipitation as it is. So it's really interesting. And and I will tell you, so let's, let's talk a few facts about uh, the dragon for the Pitaya. Um, these are three types of uh, Pitaya that, you know, according to 2017, there's three of them. And I'm going to murder these, uh, these names, but I think that you'll get it once we talk about it. So there's a yellow dragon fruit. There's a white dragon fruit not white on the outside but on the inside and then a red dragon fruit um so the white flesh and pink red skin which is the most popular in the world which i could disagree with is the silencerius undatis Whew, you said that pretty well I, I i'd give you a 90 percent on that one thanks coach um <laughs> that's the one with white flesh and pink inside it's got a different flavor uh now the next one is the white red flesh and pink red skin the silencerius polyrhesus uh, another another hard one um again very popular as well and then the last one which is the white flesh and the yellow skin the silencerius megalanthus now i will tell you that is my favorite the yellow one the yellow one is my favorite because it's got a very unique taste to it right john and and you'll probably get to get to feel that or uh, I say feel it because you do once you grab it in your in your hand you squeeze it and then cut it and then spoon it out you'll feel it man you'll feel it trust me so again little little bit of a different three different varieties that they have now this waxy tangly vines rely on you know nocturnal pollinators such as bats moths bees they feed in the dragon fruit flowers which bloom at night right they bloom at night they don't need the sun to bloom okay so if maintained carefully, they can produce numerous harvests per year. Now, that's the truth. So they're easy to cultivate as pieces are broken off the stems, or as I saw, as they were out there, they clip them right off. They don't pull. They clip the stems so they're less damaged, and then less rot can get in the middle, black rot, brown rot, all that fun stuff. Um, but definitely will grow to your liking. And they grow in – here's the crazy thing. It doesn't have to be like a crazy maintained grove because of how the cacti grows. 
So there's a lot of escape there. There's a lot of foliage over and there's a lot of good, huge red, yellow pieces of fruit that'll hang right off these cacti. So in many situations where it's been planted, it has escaped from cultivation to become a weed, right? In some regions, South Africa, right? Uh, the, you, the Undantis, which was originally introduced as an ornamental, um, has category into two invasive statuses. It can be grown in gardens, but only with a permit, right? Or commercially. Uh, in Brazil, introduced as a garden plant. In Hawaii, it was introduced in 1830s, apparently in a shipment from Mexico of plants bound for China, right? So, so how each, I would say, community, continent, or state was able to get these is kind of its own unique story. And then Florida, the uh, Silentrius eudontis has become a weed of distributed areas in the South. Woo, Florida Keys is it classified as a category invasive, increasing in abundance, but not alter the plant in communities? Listen, it is a native species. When you go down to Homestead in the Miami area, there's not like citrus groves and these things growing around, John. There's not. No. I mean, they are very tight groves. And I'll tell you, the history of what it coming to the Americas really gets me going. Okay. Because this is a, you know, this is a product that if you were to ask anybody, did you know that dragon fruit or pitaya is, is grown in the U.S.? They tell you, no, I bet you. But people oh, yeah. think pineapples are grown here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. That's so from true. the, from the pre-Columbian time, right? The family, uh, you know, has played an important role in Mexico. I mean, over 660 native species, you know, which are 78% are endemic, right? 40 species widely grown as food sources. I mean, this, this, this fruit has been through a lot. Okay. And I think that's, what's so crazy about it. So as you bring in more population, if you bring in again, a need for supply and demand, this thing starts to take off and it's really starting to take off now more than ever, which we're going to get into. So listen, the deal with, with dragon fruit coming into the U S or the Americas even goes back to the Mayans, Mayans, right? You're, you're talking back uh, to the Mayans, you know, can you eat, remember the blueberries? Like, can I eat this blueberry? Is it a raspberry? What is it? Right. When you're out in nature, think, think about Lois and Clark, right. And if they saw a dragon fruit, would they have eaten it? Probably not, John. I sure wouldn't. Right. Yes. Yeah, sure. That's why I haven't eaten it yet. That's why you haven't eaten it yet. Yes. Oh my God. So the Maya civilization is known by its ancient temples and glyphs. It, it's in the Maya script and it's the most sophisticated, right? And highly developed writing system in the pre-Columbian Americas. But they have this dragon fruit, literally, or, you, you know, as I say, the star fruit, dragon fruit, they've got something that symbolizes this crazy, unique item. So the Undantis was traditionally grown in 26% of the Mayan family orchards for use as a food and or medicine. Did you know, fun fact, everyone, that the dragon fruit has so many antioxidants in it that it'll improve your gut health, meaning that a dragon fruit a day and a little bit of workout with those obliques, you're going to develop some abs there. That's right, John. I'll give you uh, the workout tip of the day, right? But yeah, uh, really dragon fruit so. has it for the gut, man. It, it really does. And 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 moving through, it's crazy because we can go all the way back to the Mayans and then moving into, right, the, the Yucatan region, um, bringing this flower used in between 1994 and 1999, uh, really trying to bring this out, right? The infusions are applied locally, right? And I say that like they were... 
figuring out how to bring this to commercialize it, right? How do you disinfect bruises and remove types of tumors from, from the plant or from the tree? How does the shoot of the flower used for kidney diseases to prepare homemade shampoos? They were literally doing R&D with this plant. That's what we were doing. And then the oldest works of this pre-Hispanic archaeological pieces is from a Chavin Peruvian culture, 1200 to 5000 BC. They found this actual like totem that was made and actually resembles the cultures of Mexico showing these exotic pieces of fruit. John, that's amazing. So when you look at like you can't say dragon fruit's new. Guys, it's been around for millions of years. We just used it a little bit differently. And if you look at even before the conquest of Mexico and when wine was fermented and the prickly pear, Pitahaya juice was prepared in sun-exposed earthware to harvest celebrations, everyone. Holy crap! Dragon fruit has been on the rise, right? So dragon fruit, obviously peeled, contains high enough natural uh, anthocyanin dyes. And that's hard to say. Anthocyanins are dyes that have a role to give red color and have the potential to become natural dyes for food and be used as alternative synthetic dyes that are safer for health. The dragon fruit, the pitahaya, is the super fruit. Very versatile. Very versatile. That's crazy. Yeah. You can eat it. You can make dye. You can drink it. I don't know. There's not much you can't do without it. That's for sure. I agree with you. There's not much you can't do with it. And I'm pretty sure you could figure out many other things to do with it, too. So. I think the histories of the Americas is amazing and, and it's spreading probably across the world. Yeah, I I think, um, well, when we come back from our break, because it looks like we're reaching that mark, uh, we're going to get into the, the drama of the Europeans arriving and what they do with the dragon fruit and how it expands from there and all the way into today. We'll be right back. JGLC, the place to be, a third-generation, family-owned and operated asset-based company. Throughout their 60 years in business, integrity, reliability, and loyalty to their customers has remained their top priority. JGLC guarantees 24-7 communication with your personal logistics coordinator. They offer competitive pricing without sacrificing services. They operate throughout the United States and Canada. JGLC's customers count on them for dependability and dedication carried out on every order, every time. 60 years of service for all your trucking needs. Visit them at JGLC.com for your custom quote. Discover Orchard Freshness on Amazon Fresh with Arctic Apple Slices. Arctic Apple stays Orchard Fresh longer than other prepackaged, pre-sliced apples. This means less waste and no more half-eaten apples. Plus, you'll love the undeniable freshly picked flavor. Arctic Apple Slices are available in convenient grab-and-go bags in both Arctic Golden or Arctic Granny varieties in select markets on Amazon Fresh. Packable, snackable, 100% irresistible. Are you ready to enhance your skills? Every day we are tasked to make fast, effective decisions to keep up with the fast-paced produce industry. At AgTools, we take the pressure off of gathering data to help make your day easier and more enjoyable. Connecting the supply chain with AgTools is a unique, practical, 
and easy. Ag tools can be used from multiple angles of the produce industry from farmers all the way to logistics companies. We call that 360 degree decision making day after day. Visit us at www.agtechtools.com to gain more reliable and relevant data to see more, achieve more. And now back to our show. Hey, produce people, welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, our series all about the history of fresh produce. I've got my man right next to me in the studio, John Papp of Jack Vandenberg. If you're just joining us, we went through some of the history of dragon fruit, also known as Pitahaya. And now we are going to go into the drama of the European nation, get into how it came into Asia and then where it is today. So, John, welcome back. Yes, good to be back talking about our powerful dragon fruit here. So we left off, uh, I believe, with uh, just before the conquest of Mexico. So as usual, the Europeans arrive and things start to change on a global level. So the dragon fruit was, or the pitahaya, I should refer to it right now, um, was really first uh, encountered most likely around the Colombian period when Columbus made his first voyage to the Americas. And the first recorded or reported existence of this fruit in Europe was by a Pedro Martir de Angeleria uh, in 1494. And he was actually a prolific writer at the service of the Spanish court. So he wasn't actually there looking at this stuff. He basically collected notes from explorers and populated them and then shared them with the, with the royals there. So that was the first recorded and reported uh, sighting of this. But then you had uh, other explorers uh, and people that joined these explorers encounter this fruit. And there was a, a Gonzalo Fernandez de Aviedo y Valdez, who actually Whoa. made the oldest description, written description, and also the oldest drawings uh, of the Pitahaya. And um, Actually, we'll share this probably on LinkedIn. Uh, and yeah, so you can actually see these drawings are actually pretty amazing uh, and pretty accurate, actually, of what they still look like today. And there was other comments made by Diego Delanda, who didn't have such a great reputation, probably not really a friend of the show. He, he uh, when he arrived in the Americas, decided to basically burn all records kept by the natives and basically erase their culture. So not such a cool guy, but he did write this about the Pitahaya in 1560. He wrote, there are some thorny and ugly thistles and they always grow from vines attached to other trees scrambled with them. They have a fruit whose skin is red and it is similar to an artichoke. The skin can be easily removed and it does not have any thorns. The flesh inside is white and full of tiny black seeds. It is sweet, delicate, and tenderly soft. It melts in the mouth. It is eaten in slices as oranges and with salt. The fruits brought by the Indians from the mount can't be enough since the Spanish eat them all. So interesting things are obviously the, the, the visual appearance of the fruit doesn't seem to have changed too much. And there's also an evidence there that the Spanish seem to really enjoy it because he makes that <laughs> statement that they keep bringing them down, but the Spanish are eating them all. So beyond that point, you really don't have too much uh, more written testimonies to the dragon fruit until uh, the fruit lands in Asia. So this is where we start to see the, the Pitahaya make its entry into Asia. And the first 
believed introduction seems to be in the Philippines by the Spanish in the 16th century, and more critically by the French in the 19th century to Vietnam. And I say that because Vietnam actually becomes a pretty big uh, country in the world of the Pitahaya. So basically, the Pitahaya is known as Tang Loi or Tang Long, uh, which direct translation from Vietnamese into English is dragon fruit. So there we're starting to see the, the description for the first time of dragon fruit. And the reason why they named it this uh, was because the plant itself climbs on the trunks of other trees and gives that impression of a climbing dragon. And remember in that part of the world, this mythological animal is very, very popular, uh, particularly in China, of course. But it does, the dragon fruit does seem to thrive in Vietnam's provinces because of its climate. You know, it's, it's hot, it's dry. And the Vietnamese economy really um, started to take on this fruit as it recovered from the Vietnam War in the 1980s. Um, the farmers and co-ops began to actually pay more attention to the fruit. So I'd been there for already for about uh, 200, 300 years, but now they're starting to experiment with the cultivation and the fertilizing methods. And actually in the early 1990s, uh, there was a claim that a single kilogram cost, now this is in Vietnamese dollars, 80,000, that I did the conversion. So in 1990, that's $3.37 per kilo which is about $7 today. So $7 per kilo, that's pretty expensive. It was actually enough to buy a bicycle back then in Vietnam. So this is no joke, this fruit at the time, but- Expensive. Very expensive. I don't know. I Still don't think is. I'd spend that on a dragon fruit. I don't know. I haven't tried it yet, so maybe I would. Who knows? But today, Vietnam, uh, Vietnam grows so much that it's actually one of the cheapest fruits available in the markets and grocery stores in the country. So it's actually the top dragon fruit producer with 1.4 million tons brought to the market each year. And about 15 to 20 of that fruit, 20% of that fruit stays uh, in Vietnam while the rest goes abroad. And when I say abroad, it's kind of loose because 70% of what leaves Vietnam actually goes to China. So China is a huge market uh, for the dragon fruit. Um, and actually the COVID-19 pandemic really created some interesting dynamics in that market because China had shut down all their borders and there was so much pitahaya to be shipped, but China wasn't allowing them in. So a lot of this fruit had really nowhere to go. And they ended up doing a lot of creative things with it, which we'll kind of touch on in the, the pop culture of today around dragon fruit. But they started doing things with like using pitahaya for making uh, buns pink, like pink buns for like fast food and stuff. There's kind of infusions all over the place. So it was, it was kind of interesting what they ended up <laughs> trying to find ways to utilize this fruit. But let's talk a little bit about the actual name dragon fruit uh, and why it exists. So it's actually a bit of a marketing scheme, right? So it was initially developed for the description of what the fruit and its plant looked like, but marketers started to say, you know what? The Chinese uh, people are really enjoying this fruit. Let's make it more attractive. Let's tie it into their culture. So they started to build an, a fake legend about the origins of the dragon fruit that connects to the culture of China, which is actually pretty fascinating. So according to legends, the fruit was created thousands of years ago by fire breathing dragons. And during a battle, when the dragon would breathe fire, the last thing to come out would be the fruit. 
And after the dragon is slain, the fruit is collected and presented to the emperor as a coveted treasure and indication of victory. The soldiers would then butcher the dragon, eat the flesh. It was believed that those who feasted on the flesh would be endowed with the strength and ferocity of the dragon and that they would too be coveted by the emperor. It is written that the dragon's flame originates deep within its body near the base of its tail. The meat from this part of the dragon was the most desirable and most sought after portion. Only the officers of each division would be privy to this cut of meat. So basically, that is the, the folklore that was created to tie in this dragon fruit, which again makes sense if they're trying to appeal to 70% of the consumer that's buying this, which is the Chinese people. And the dragon means such a symbolic power, uh, symbol of power, strength, and good luck in that culture. Well, you know, what's crazy is too, is that I start to think about is like, why would you tell your wife I'm going out to go buy a pitahaya? Who? Like what? I want to be strong and powerful. Yeah. And lucky. Right? Like, hey, babe, I'm going to go pick up some dragon fruit. Right? Like, to me, it'd be like, what? I need that's, this. That's exotic. <laughs> I mean, is that for dessert? Right. <laughs> right. But you're, you're, you're so right. I mean, from Pitahaya to dragon fruit. But, you know, I, I have a couple of friends that say you call it dragon fruit. I call it Pitahaya. You know what I mean? So there's still mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. original culture uh, that really talks about it being not dragon fruit. Like you could say dragon fruit to dragon fruit growers and they won't call it dragon fruit. So right. if, if you look at the, even the culture, the prominent contemporary writers, including Nobel Prize winner Miguel Engel de Astrucius, 1899 to 1974, the poet and writer Andre Brenton, 1896 to 1966. Guys, I'm, I'm giving you the dates because look how far this is going back. Okay. Think about it. Um, the novelist Jack London, 1876 to 1916. And then even further back, Ramon Velez E. Herrera, uh, 1808 to 1886. I mean, think about that these people were talking and discussing dragon fruit in their writings all the way back to 1808 and before the Egyptians with their hieroglyphics of dragon fruit. So uh, very popular fruit and traditions of the Yucatan. There are verses called bambas. They refer to them as in the popular culture of Asia, the legend of the dragon fruit has already taken shape. You know, when I watched that um, Raya and the last dragon, uh, mm. that new movie, uh, there was dragon fruit in. Was the- I was going to say there was, so there was dragon fruit. There was huh. dragon fruit in the go. movie. See? So even Disney- product placement. As the symbolic nature. Now, it's so funny if you ever get to a real movie and you see lemons or citrus on the shelf, or right, they won't. It won't say sun rays or sun kissed no. or no. But in a Disney movie, it'll show dragon fruit, which is amazing, right? I mean, symbolic messaging. So let, let's move it forward a little bit, and you know, start to look at this plant and how they incorporate it into their cultural tradition. You know, in April of 1938. Andre uh, Breton, the founder of Surrealism, visited uh, Frida Kahlo at her studio and home in Mexico and stayed there for several months. I wonder if there was a relationship there. I'm just curious. Uh, thinking about drama, everyone. And they, they did a painting of a pitaya, pitahaya harvesting. And the title of the painting was Pitahayas refers to the five bright pink fruit resting in the center of the composition. I'm just imagining what this painting looked like. I'm going to have to go check out Frida Kahlo. Oh, there's Kahlo. a picture, yeah. And, and I got to definitely look at this because I believe it's going to be beautiful, um, especially yeah. looking at the dragon fruit. So if you looked at that, um, 
look at what Brenton certainly saw, the browning, ripe fruit, uh, Kayla's garden, and possibly the arrangement of still life from which, you know, obviously they worked out through this, this final painting. Uh, Brenton penned an essay for the accompaniment of the catalog in which he referenced the, the Kalos uh, Pitayas. Um, I did not imagine the world of fruit could extend to such a marvel that is the Pitahaya, whose skin has the color and the coiling of rose petals. The Pitahaya with gray flesh, like a kiss blended of love and desire. Sounds like a Hallmark card on Valentine's Day, John. Oh my oh, gosh. He was an author, you know, he's poetic. poetic. But think about this. If you look at the actual culture and what dragon fruit means, I mean, it's a symbol of love. I mean, and desire and passion. Right. And I, and I think that a lot of tropical items bring that love and, and passion and desire uh, to the plate. Right. Oh, definitely. And you can actually even see that in a lot of what we're going to start talking about is dragon fruit today. You know, those emotions and those adjectives you just described, you know, there's the consumer perception. They, I think there was actually a study done. looks like I can't find the date here, but pretty recently that took thousands of consumers across was eight countries around the world. And so they triggered, they asked them to, you know, what words does this trigger uh, for you when you see dragon fruit? And they said, bold, exotic, exciting, impressive, fun. And it is, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I've, I've, regardless if I've tried it yet, it is a very attractive piece of fruit and it does look exciting. I mean, it's, 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 it's not uh, subtle by any means, that piece of fruit. And I think for that reason, you've seen this increase in dragon fruit over the last, specifically over the last 20 years. You know, obviously there's the nutrient element to it. Um, it's very nutrient dense. And I think the bigger component to that, especially in today's culture and technology is, is the uh, social media influence of it. You know, it's very attractive to take pictures of, uh, and Instagram and all that, all those different platforms, uh, where people can share these things. So I think companies have caught on to that. Cause you see, now you have iced teas at Taco Bell with the uh, dragon fruit, you have fruit drinks at Starbucks. You have all these products now fusing dragon fruit one way or another into their product so much so that now you have I mean, think about it. This this product that's been around for thousands of years have has all of a sudden just come into the general global psyche, which wasn't there just a few decades ago. You know, 88% of consumers in this study have now heard of dragon fruit and 56 have tasted it. I mean, that's pretty fascinating considering, again, just maybe three or four decades ago, people didn't even realize that dragon fruit was in the Americas. Probably they probably still thought it was, if they had heard of it or seen it, they thought it was in Asia, because again, that's where most of it was being commercialized and sold. It wasn't so much in Americas. So it's a pretty fascinating story about a, a fruit that started in America, went to Asia, and then basically got re-exported back to the Americas where it's becoming this, this trend setting um, fresh produce item. And in fact, uh, as we've seen with other products, they are starting to now do more research around breeding to get new varieties because, you know, we don't like to stand still ever. And people always want the next exciting thing. So actually there was an article uh, just about a month or two ago that shared that the plant and food research in New Zealand and the Southern Horticultural Research Institute in Vietnam 
uh, have been working together since 2013 to breed new varieties of dragon flute with excellent grower and consumer characteristics. So apparently the first new varieties from this uh, breeding program are set to be launched in the global marketplace. Sounds like imminently. Doesn't give a date when they're going to come out, but all these new varieties are redskins and they describe it as being um, sweeter, more aromatic flavor than current varieties, and with a crisp, dense texture. The varieties vary in flesh color, one with traditional white, um, and a unique pink flesh variety, and a dark, appealing red flesh variety. So there's some exciting things that seem to be coming out in the in the dragon fruit world where you know consumers are going to get to enjoy new uh, colors and new flavors. Well, and one of the fun things that I love is I thought that the red one would taste better than the yellow one and the yellow one would taste worse than the pink one. And it, it's absolutely depends on your preference. So I, I've had the red in smoothies. I've had the white and yellow uh, in person. I've had the red in person too, but the one with the most flavor is the yellow. And that's why you don't see them in the stores that much, John, is because they're always sold out. Like those yellow ones that the people that know your Costco's, your Walmart's, your Publix's, right? All these people that really know the value of the dragon fruit will purchase and set contracts up for these things. I know everyone, I'm getting into some crazy produce talk, um, but that's why some stores will never have the yellow. And all they do has, is have a high abundance of uh, pink or red. And then the reds are almost like a processing type. The, the interior reds will be sent off to the Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm, uh, to mm -hmm. the processors to make smoothies or cut fruit. To, to wow for added value. Um, but you can get like an acai bowl and have dragon fruit and all these other items in there. Uh, but like I told you earlier, you know, dragon fruit has plenty of antioxidants and, and vitamins and minerals in there to, to give you the best gut health. You know, I, I had a live interview uh, back at the, it was an early March. Geez, early March, we had a, um, a live stream that had John Gaston of Empowered Martial Arts on. And I brought three products, John, on the show. Can you guess which one of them was? Oh, it's going to be dragon fruit. Got to be, right? So I Gotta brought be. a dragon fruit, a deco pond, and an ambrosia apple. This gentleman, I made a guess and said, I guarantee you have not tried these three pieces of fruit. He didn't. It's so funny because <laughs> we cut the dragon fruit in the middle. I gave him a spoon. He ate it. And it was like, oh, oh, wow. Wow, that was good. Check my YouTube out uh, channel, everyone, The Purpose Industry Show, because that is on there. Watch his facial expression when he goes and dips it in. Then we try the ambrosia apple. Then we try the, you know, we try the deco pond, right? And then all of a sudden, he comes back and dips the dragon, dragon fruit back on and finishes the rest. And, and I was like, that's obviously your favorite now, one. Now, was that the yellow one? That was the yellow dragon fruit. That was the yellow one. So, it, it, again, it's... There's uh, this fruit, which is so scary because, you know, most people will tell you I, I'm going to walk into the store and I'm not going to pick this up because I don't know what to do with it. I remember the first time I was sent dried hatch chilies, uh, the chili peppers. I was eating them and I and I remember my buddy was like, those are to cook with. What are, what are you doing? And I was like, epic fail. Right. Right, John, because I didn't know. And I yeah, was even yeah. myself, like I just, someone sent me hatch peppers. Come on, bro. If someone's going to send you food, don't you think you would eat it? Like, I think so. I, again, I think if someone so. sent I mean, you a dragon fruit, would you boil it? No, well, <laughs> obviously they were not cultivated just to cook with. I mean, they were inherently eaten raw at some point in history. 
right? Right. I mean, I mean we, we still eat them raw. That's what we do. So, I mean, the, the history of dragon fruit has been crazy, right? Uh, from the pre-Mayan times all the way throughout civilization. And it's such an interesting fruit that it took us a while to find some of these tons of references that we have. You're interested in the references, as we always say, right? We have tons of references uh, that talk about where we found this information. This is not just information that John and I are making up inside of our heads. This is actually information that we're looking at. Like I said, all the way back from the Aztec kings. I mean, how they rewrite history, where the Spaniards came in, how it was commercialized in Southern Florida. Like how did you know, did you know, John, that there are Dragon fruit groves throughout Homestead, Florida. I never knew that until last year. No, it's actually, I don't think I knew that either until I saw your video. Because again, like most listeners right now, before this episode, I I thought it was all from, you know, the Asian subcontinent. That's where I thought it, dragon fruit was from. Because you know, again, you look at that fruit, you're like, ah, that's not grown in the Americas. That doesn't look like an American fruit. Well, it's too it's exotic. So, right, but it's so funny, but people think a pineapple is grown here in the States on a tree somewhere. That's true right? too. Yeah, so it's the flip side because <laughs> people think, oh, it's it must be Hawaiian. It's a Hawaiian fruit, you know? It's, oh, that means it's product of USA. Oh, it grows right. here. Or better yet, did you know that limes aren't grown in the United States at all? And yeah. people are like, yeah, they are. I'm like, show me a lime growth. Show me a lime grove because they're, they're not here. Uh, and if they are, they're not commercially grown and commercially. Right. Have you seen one lime from an America grower? I've not seen it. A USA grower have limes. It's always Persian or key limes out of Mexico. They're, they're bringing them from Peru. Uh, they're always bringing them in from somewhere else. There's I've not seen a product of a USA lime unless it was packed in the US. Yeah, yeah. No, but there's it's it's amazing. I mean, it's and not a finger know, lime either. We know what a finger no, lime finger. is. Yes, not you've a finger introduced lime. that to me as well. See, you're introducing me to all kinds of things. You don't here. know what a finger lime is? <laughs> no, I do. Yeah, you you do. You, you introduced it to me. I yeah. was going to say the caviar yeah. of citrus, everyone. Yeah. If you, you know, exactly. It's delicious. I'm just saying. Delicious. How fun was that? That was so. Listen, was we should do that on finger limes, everyone. Hey, I want your comments too, everyone. Please let us know if you're enjoying the series and. What would you like to hear us research? Because this is all research-based. We're putting this together as we go because us ourselves and our community of people want to know where the food comes from. So this is another way of, of doing that, John. So I think dragon fruit was an amazing one uh, to do. No, I agree. I mean, again, it's just testimony to kind of what we've done so far is decoding the origins of all these fruits or veggies that you might have thought you knew where it came from, but now you're going to look at a totally different light when you go into the grocery store. And I think that just makes it a lot more exciting to go to the grocery store and to actually eat this product. I agree. And as we close out, we want everyone to know that in today's world, where, where your food comes from, we figured we would take the time to really tell you, everyone, think about when you walk into the grocery store the produce department right up front, it's beautiful. It's smelling with the aroma. If you had smell-o-vision, that's what you're thinking about right now. And think of you walking into a time capsule of fruits and veggies that were developed some over seven or eight million years ago. Think about how it began. Everyone, if you're interested in the references, please see the episode description for more details. And this is to conclude the history and lesson on dragon fruit or pitta yaya. In, in the importance to know that this fruit is commercialized and John will have tried it next time that we chat. So everyone, head into your local grocery store and pick up a fresh piece of dragon fruit. Get exotic today. 
pick up that relic in time and enjoy yourself. That's all today we have for our show. As I say, we see you in the fields and on the horizon. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.